0: Y'all turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I really pondered and prayed about what to do today on such a huge day, thinking about the great history of this church and how God has been so faithful through the years to build, to plant, to build and sustain such an incredible church. But the exciting thing is not just the past, it's the future. And our ultimate future, where we're headed, is what we've been talking about out of 1 Corinthians 15 these past several weeks. So I want to continue that series today, and I want to I talk about what we have to look forward to, specifically what kind of bodies we have to look forward to in the next life. These three guys were drinking coffee together, as they'd done many times before, and they happened to talk about, what do you want people to say at your funeral? People are standing there, looking into your casket, what do you hope they'll say? And the first guy said, well, I hope they look at me and say, you know, he was a guy who lived life the way it should be lived. He did things the right way. I learned so much from him about life. And the second guy said, I hope they look at me and say, this guy was always there for me when I needed him. I knew I could count on him. And the third guy said, you know, personally, I hope they look down at me and say, hey, look, he's moving. (laughs) And I'm with that third guy. I, I hope that... My death isn't the end of me. Now, medical science and the Bible both tell me that someday I will die, and so will you. I hate to break it to you. Spoiler alert, death comes to us all. But the Scriptures tell us, our hope in Christ tells us that our death is not the end, that if you're in Christ, there is something beyond this life, and we've been talking about it through this series. Today, we're going to get into some real specifics, and specifically, of course, what sort of bodies will we have For all eternity. What we've been told by popular culture is we don't have bodies at all. We're spirits floating around in the sky, or we're angels with wings and halos and harps and robes. But what does the Bible actually say? I know some of us have to struggle with our own vanity. What will I look like? Others of us think in more practical terms of: Am I? Are my loved ones going to be able to recognize me? And are, am I going to be re- able to recognize them? And still others wonder: Are we going to struggle in the same way physically that we did in down here on Earth? What will it be like? Will we still get hurt? Will we still get injured? Will we still age? Will we still get sick? Will we still die? So let's get some answers this morning. And this is a long passage of scripture. We won't read the entire thing, but I want us to look uh, through several points. In fact, let's go back a little bit to some scriptures we've already read. Let's start with verse 20. Verse 20 says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep first fruits and we've talked about this if you've been with us in previous weeks you know that's a levitical term it's a it's a reference to the law of Moses and how an Israelite farmer when he gathered in his crops would take the first of his crops, his first fruits to the, to the Lord and say, I believe that I, I can have faith enough to give you this because I know there's a lot more where that came from and you'll bless me. And God in offering up Jesus on the first Easter Sunday, when Jesus rose from the dead, he, God was saying to us, this is my first fruits. I'm giving you my first and my best. Cause there's a lot more where that came from. If Christ rose, so will we, the Bible's clear clear message is that in eternity, we have a physical existence. We're not spirits floating in the ether. We're certainly not angels. You don't see any hint of that in the Scriptures. Uh, we, when we die, we go to be with Christ... Immediately, that's why he told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. But guess what? There's no details in the Bible about what that existence is like. That's not a tangible hope. That's nothing we can wrap our minds around. We're just going to have to trust God that it's going to be better there than it is on earth. Our hope is in something else. Someday we'll get our bodies back. When will that happen? Verses 23 and 24 tell us. Verses 23 and 24 say, but each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. First Christ comes, and when he returns, then we arise as well. That's when it happens. So between our death and the day Christ returns, we will be with God in some form we don't know, but when Christ returns, we will arise and we'll have bodies forever. That's the biblical framework and not just in the writings of Paul. This is in Isaiah. This is in the words of Daniel. This is the the book of Hebrews talks about it. Jesus talked about it all through the scriptures. And if you want more details on this, if you want to research this further, I highly recommend a book by Randy Alcorn simply titled Heaven. Randy Alcorn, heaven. And, and people will say, well, okay, I, I'm a little bothered by this because if I, I, I thought that when I died, I was done with physical existence, and so I wouldn't have to worry about aging. I wouldn't have to worry about sickness. I wouldn't have to worry about pain and death. And so people get a little worried when they find out we're going back into our bodies. There's good news. Verse 51 tells us this very, very good news. Uh, verse 51 uh, Tells us, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. There's a couple of terms Paul uses there. He says, in a flash. That word flash is the Greek word atomos, from which we get the word Adam. It means an undivided moment. It it means God has predetermined the exact time when this is going to happen. And the word in the twinkling, the twinkling it talks about is the word "repay" in Greek, and it refers to something that happens so fast you don't, see it, you don't even see it happen. It's like the flapping of a hummingbird's wings or the feet of a sprinter. It's something so fast you don't even know when, when, when it occurs. And so the, the timeline is we're in heaven with Christ, We're in his presence. Then the day comes when he returns. On that day that he returns, our graves will split open. If we've been cremated, if we've been lost somewhere, if we've been, you know, eaten by feral cats, whatever, we arise. And boom, just like that, we're changed. And we don't live in our old bodies. We spend eternity in new bodies. Now, what are those bodies going to be like? That's the question. Look at verse 35 with me. Paul says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Yes, that's Paul making fun of us for asking the question, what kind of bodies will we have? He goes on to say, when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else, but God gives it a body as he He does determined, but to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Now, what Paul's doing there is he's making a comparison between human beings and plants. Think about a seed, for instance. If you take a watermelon seed, you've never seen a watermelon before. Someone hands you one of those little black seeds, and they say, what do you think this is going to be? And you look at it, and you say, it's going to be a little black seed. But you plant that in the ground, what comes out is something different, something wonderful, or a sunflower, or a daisy, or a blue bonnet, or a carrot, or a tomato, And what Paul is saying is we don't yet know what we're going to be. Just like you can't predict what kind of plant is going to come out of a seed unless you know what kind of seed it is, we have no idea yet what we will be. What we will be is far more glorious. I love watermelons. I could care less about the seeds. All the raw material for this incredible thing God is going to do is already in you. You're not going to come out and be an angel any more than you're going to be a golden retriever. You're still going to be a human being, but you're going to be something much more wonderful then than you are now. They'll still be our bodies, but we don't yet know all that that entails. He goes on, verse 42. Verse 42 says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. then he goes on in verse 49 and says, just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Now, quick, quick quiz. When he talks about the earthly man, who do you think he's talking about? Some specific person. Anyone know that wasn't here in the first service? Anyone know? He's talking about Adam. If you read the whole chapter, it's obvious he's talking about Adam. Adam was the first human being and he died because of the curse, he died. And we have those same kinds of bodies, just like Adam did. Our bodies are weak. Our bodies are flawed. Our bodies have an, have an expiration date attached to them. I'm sorry to tell you this, but every one of us, every single one of us, I don't care how many protein shakes you drink, how many times you work out, uh, how many times you go see the Botox guy, you're going to die. All right? It's going to happen. Your body will wear out. We have earthly bodies, but he says someday we'll have a body like the man from heaven. Here's an easier question. Who's the man from heaven? Jesus. Don't you like it when I ask you that question in church, right? It's always the answer. Jesus. We'll have have bodies like the body Jesus had, not not on Christmas morning, but the body he had on Easter Sunday, The, the body that he had that rose again on the third day. Philippians even talks about it. Philippians 3.21, if you want to look it up, says that he is going to make our lowly bodies like his glorious Body. So we get some clues based on what we see in Jesus on, on Easter Sunday and the days after in his risenness. Paul talks about that resurrection body. Here's where we get into some specifics. Three adjectives he uses to describe that body. The three things he calls it. Number one, he calls our bodies imperishable. Imperishable. That's the opposite of perishable, right? Perishable means it wears out, it won't last forever, but an imperishable body lasts forever, it can't be damaged. It can't get old. It can't be destroyed. Johnny Erickson Tata, when she was a young girl, dove into water that was too shallow and she was from that day forward paralyzed from her neck down. And she became one of the most significant and beloved Christian artists and authors in the world. She wrote a book several years ago, one of many she's written, Heaven, Your Real Home. And she talks about the the idea that the scriptures give us of having a new and imperishable body. And here's her words. She says, can you imagine the hope this gives to someone who is spinal cord injured like me? Or someone who is cerebral palsied, brain injured, who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives to someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do we find such incredible hope. All of us can think of reasons why we need the idea of an imperishable body to look forward to. For some of us, it's, it's our own woundedness and our own struggles. We've gotten injured in the past and have never been quite able to get over it. Some of us, we have loved ones. Maybe you have a child who has a mental illness or who has a physical disability and you've asked God many times, why, why can't my child be unhindered like other children? Maybe it's, maybe it's watching a loved one get older and deteriorate. Maybe it's your own self as you look in the mirror and realize I'm aging and, and things aren't going to get any better. And that's what they tell me. I, I've crossed that threshold of my 40s and people say things aren't going to get any better from this point. Right? And that's discouraging. And if that's all there was, man, no wonder men have midlife crises and act like fools because they think this is my one chance. Maybe it's not. If, if the scriptures are true, maybe, maybe we have something to look forward to that's far better than anything this world could give. I think about my grandfather, my grandpa Williams. He was a dairy farmer, my mom's dad, dairy farmer. Worked hard every day. Woke up about four thirty in the morning. Milked those cows. Worked all through the afternoon. Uh, he had crops and he had ranching. He did. And when I was a kid growing up, I would help him sometimes. Uh, I would work cattle with him. I would I would pick peas. I would pull corn. I would I would do other things. All these kinds of things that convinced me that I wasn't cut out to be a farmer. This is why I got an education. Thank you, Grandpa Williams. Uh, one of the hardest working men I've ever known. He was he was five foot three, really short man. Not. Powering, like me, but uh, very, very strong and hardworking. He was also a deacon in our church. Um, before I was born, he was the youth minister of the church. Not That wasn't his title. They called him the director of the young people. But all these adults who were my parents' age when I was growing up would come and tell me, I remember when I was growing up and your grandpa would teach us the Bible or your grandpa would throw these big volleyball games and wiener roasts at the church. Grandpa literally was the only individual in the community that the Dr. Pepper man stopped at his house and unloaded big crates of, of that... Uh, delicious nectar of the Lord, right? Because every day, every week he would bring them to the church to attract as many uh, young people in the community as he could. By the time I came along, he had, he had sort of been promoted. He was now chairman of the deacons and also the, the men's Sunday school teacher. This is how small our church was. He was the men's Sunday school teacher. Every Sunday he taught right there in our worship center. Of all the people I knew growing up, even our pastors, he knew the Bible better than anybody I knew. He had an insatiable appetite for the word of God and a, and a fantastic knowledge. He didn't. He graduated high school. That's as far up as he went. But he knew God's word. In the last ten years of his life, or more, were spent slowly declining with Alzheimer's. And for the last several years, he was bedbound. And we would go visit him in the facility where he was, and we would see someone who looked sort of like Grandpa, but really wasn't him. Many of you have been through that journey. You've seen that happen to your loved ones. Right now, some of you are watching it happen to people important to you right now. Right now, some of you are thinking it's, it's already happening to me. What hope is there for us? If this life is all we have, how, how discouraging is that? But as I watched my grandfather approach death slowly, day by day, memory by memory, slip away from us, I just kept thinking, Someday I'm going to see you and you're going to be just like I remember, but better. This is not the end. I don't have to cling to my memories of grandpa as he was because someday I'll see him and he'll be just right. He'll be just the way I remember, but, but even better. Little boy was riding with his dad one day in a car. They drove past the cemetery. They happened, little boy happened to see a freshly dug grave right there by the fence, big hole with dirt next to it. And he said, Hey, look, dad, somebody got out. And he's right. We have this hope of an imperishable body because someone got out and that someone was Jesus, our first fruits. Second thing we know that Paul talks about, about our our resurrection bodies, they will be powerful. We are sown in weakness, but we will be raised in power. Think about when Jesus rose again. Jesus was able to do some things that he never showed the ability to do before. He was able to appear and disappear at will. The disciples were in a locked room and suddenly Jesus was there among them and then they turned their backs and boom, he was gone. He never did that kind of thing before. Later on, as he was talking to them on top of the Mount of Olives, he ascended into heaven. He'd never done that before either. So we believe and we're told in the scriptures, there are things that we can't do now that we will someday be able to do. And I don't know what that means. We'll be able to appear and disappear at will, fly, who knows? I know that that there are a lot of things I wish I could do now and I look forward to being able to do them someday soon. I love singing. Y'all don't want to hear me sing, but someday, someday maybe I'll have a beautiful singing voice. Maybe I'll be able to develop it into a voice just like some of the voices you heard earlier. I know a lot of us have this concern, well, what will my body look like in heaven? I don't know about you, but I, I would love to think I'll be six foot four with biceps the size of your head. But that's just my vanity talking. You know what I really believe? Jesus, when he rose again, he still looked like Jesus. His disciples didn't look at him and go, who are you? They knew he was Jesus. They recognized him. I think you and I are going to look like ourselves. I think we're going to be recognizable to our loved ones and they to us. And that might disappoint you because like me, you may be wishing that God had made you a different shape or give you a different face or, or different hair. But keep in mind, keep this in mind. Right now, we're bound by a lot of weird, earthly, fleshly stuff like vanity and lust and insecurity and jealousy and arrogance. And up there, we won't. We won't be. I believe that in our resurrection bodies, we're going to be tall and we're going to be short. We're going to be plump and we're going to be thin. We're going to be black and white and brown and yellow. We're going to be beautiful inside of God and each other and ourselves. And we're going to glorify God in the bodies that we have. The third thing we're told is our new bodies will be spiritual. On the new earth, we will inhabit spiritual bodies. We were sown in natural bodies. Bodies meaning natural and material and fleshly and fallen. But we'll be raised with spiritual bodies. What does that mean exactly? I think verse 50 tells us. Verse 50 says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Remember, Paul is writing this as a polemic. He's saying to the Corinthian Christians who were saying, there is no resurrection, we're all just spirits floating in the ether. He's saying, don't you understand? Until we have these new and imperishable bodies, we can't see God. We're missing out on the best thing in life. All through the Old Testament, we read those stories of God appearing to Moses, to Elijah, to all the different people of the Scriptures. And he had to hide himself in some way. To Moses, he was a burning bush. To Abraham, he looked like a man, like a human being. In other times, he took Moses and and hid him in the cleft of a rock and covered him with his hand. No one could see God face to face and live because we're sinners, because we inhabit these fallen bodies. But our new bodies will be different. Our new bodies will be perfectly redeemed. And we'll be able to see God face to face. And I am willing to bet everything that I have that of all the things we talk about in the new earth, is there going to be golf? Is there going to be baseball? Is there going to be food? All those things I think will be there. But the best thing of all will be, will be in the presence of God always. And all these earthly entertainments that we're hoping will translate to the new earth will find a little bit boring next to seeing him face to face, the endlessly fascinating God, the source of all joy and all glory, who will have spiritual bodies. And that means not only will we see God face to face, we won't sin anymore. Think about it. Never again having to say, I'm so sorry. Never, having to, never again having to say, why did I just do that? Never feeling guilt or shame or regret never having to see the look on the face of your loved one after you've just hurt her feelings or said too much to him or or disappointed them. It will never happen again. we will be like Christ was, perfect, perfect in every way. And you might say, well, why didn't God just create me that way in the first place? I believe that he did. That's the message of Genesis. Adam and Eve were made perfect. They dwelt in the garden with God. They heard him walking in the cool of the day. They saw his face. They heard his voice. And then they sinned. And it was all taken away. We've been inhabiting these unredeemed and rotting bodies ever since. But someday we'll be fully redeemed. Here's the great thing. When I was nine years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior and was baptized back in Hope Baptist Church. I was saved that day. But you know what? I'm not fully saved. Not until Christ returns. I am being saved. He's in the process of remaking me day by day, and that work will be complete on the day he comes back and my body rises and I'm transformed. And on that day, I will no longer be a spirit inside, a body that's deteriorating, a spirit that's being regenerated while the body is falling apart. No, from that day forward and forever, I'll be redeemed from the crown of my head to the sole of my feet. And so will you if you're in Christ, inhabiting a powerful, imperishable, spiritual body forever. When I was in my 20s, I was privileged to be the pastor of First Baptist Church in Stockdale, Texas. Stockdale's a little town you've probably never been to or heard of. It's south of Seguin, near San Antonio. Wonderful little church in that community. They were great to us. And every Easter, we had, they had this tradition. Uh, There there was a, a sunrise service Every church in the community would gather together except for one. There was one church in the community. I won't tell you which one. If you're from a small town in Texas, you probably know which one. I won't go there. One church decided that they were the only ones going to heaven, and so they wouldn't do Easter with us. I can't wait to see them up there. I can't wait to say, hey, remember me? (laughs) They'll think they're in the wrong place. It'll be hilarious. (laughs) So all the other churches, all the other churches would gather together for a sunrise service Easter Sunday morning in the town cemetery. And I remember my first year, I'm like, "Whose idea was this?" But then after a while, I grew to love it, because here we would be in this place of death. And I'd walk around among the tombstones as the dawn was breaking, just before we sang and preached, and I'd look at the names on those stones, and I recognized many of them. They were family members of members of my church and of other churches. It was a small enough town that I knew, all the families, some of those people I had buried myself. And I realized that all of us, Baptist, Methodist, Catholic, Lutheran, I won't say any more so you can't identify the other people, but we were all just shaking our fist at death and saying, You've taken some of us. You'll take all of us eventually, but we will rise. Someday, all of these tombs are going to split open, and all these people who died in Christ will arise. And we'll say, along with Paul at the end of this chapter, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Death is an angry dog that's missing all its teeth. Death barks, but it cannot bite. We don't fear it at all. Christ has already defeated death. The worst thing this world can offer is done. And if death can't touch us, then nothing can. Isn't it great to have this hope? Isn't it great to know that we will overcome by the blood and by the, by the empty tomb of Jesus Christ?